Nicky Gumble is kind of my pastor. Okay, he's over the, across the pond, but I read his through the Bible in a year, and I usually will grab that first devotion he reads every day that goes with the scriptures that he has laid out in the plan. And so today, I actually have two stories from him. That one I'll tell at the end, um, but the first one is a story he tells about a guy in his church. His name is Mark, and he sees this homeless guy in, in town, and he gives him some food, and he sits down, and he talks to him, and he leads him to Christ. Well, it turns out Mark is pretty, he's, he's young, but he's a pretty big deal, and he's going to be talking to lots of people in the days ahead um, in the Anglican church. And so he, um, he says to this guy, this guy's been, he's only 21, he's been homeless for three years, and he's just, you know, eating and led him to the Lord, and and his name is Matthew, and he says to Matthew, he says, Matthew, what would you have me say to all those people in the Church of England? And Matthew said to him, stop arguing with each other and start telling people about the hope. Hope. Not a word we preach about a lot. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And so we talk and preach a lot about love. Faith, of course, is the activator of all of that. But hope, we don't quite know what to do with. I don't mean hope, but I mean, you know, the word. And yet, Peter writes a letter, and the whole theme is a living hope in a dying world. So my question that we're going to answer today is, is there any hope for me? Now, I'm not just talking about me, okay? <laughs> I realize there may not be much hope for me, but you could ask that question too, can't you? Is there any hope? for me. Maybe you're watching online and you're thinking, is there any hope for me? Nobody even knows me there. And Peter's going to answer very clearly that there is hope for you and me. A living hope, not a, I hope that we get through this somehow, not a, oh shucks, I hope things go better than they went last week. Not that kind of a hope, a living hope, a hope full of life that never ends resurrection power kind of hope. So we're going to look at um, that word hope. Um, I want you to think kind of in terms of a, maybe the hope diamond, a precious gem, where if you look at it from different angles, you see the beauty a little bit differently. And we're going to look at that hope that is described in Scripture, okay, called salvation, called an inheritance, all of this in First Peter 1. We're going to look at it from several different angles very quickly, kind of rapid fire. So last week, to give you an example, we talked about how our salvation and our hope came from God. So the first point, if you're taking notes, is the source of our hope and our salvation is God. All right? Point number two. What? All right? The second point is that not only is the source of our salvation God, but the guarantee of our salvation is found in verses 3 and 5, which would be the guarantee of our salvation. Let's start reading there. Okay? Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop there. This is, we wouldn't notice this, but if you were a Jew back in that day who had become a Christian, you would recognize, well, if you were any Jew in that day, you would recognize this as Jewish prayer to God. A prayer that says, I want to bless you, God, and I'm going to say words that bless you because you're worthy. And that's how this is being written. Remember, Peter is kind of the, God, the apostle to the Jews, Paul's the apostle to the Gentiles. No, they're both to both, okay? But that's kind of their emphasis. And, and so it doesn't surprise me that Peter would be writing this letter to Jews 
and Gentile scattered amongst the provinces in Galatia, which is was called Asia Minor at the time. And uh, Nat, well, I don't even know if it was called that at the time, but historically we know of it as Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Praise be to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, there's God's motive, always love, love, love. Mercy is a, a subset of love. He has given us what? New birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's just pause there. Through this proof of the resurrection, we can have confidence that this salvation and this hope that Peter is talking about, this living hope, is something we can bank on. Okay? It's proof. Okay, Paul says it this way, I think in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if you can prove that the resurrection is not something that actually happened, then you can discredit Christianity and you can throw it out. It's just another man-made religion if, if the resurrection is not true. But Christians historically for the past two millennium have believed and do believe that Jesus didn't spiritually rise from the dead, but that he actually rose from the dead. A man died, was buried, and rose from the dead, and his, even his body was gone. And he had a new body, and he walked around for, for the next 40 days interacting with his followers. Now, the next time he comes, he's not interacting with just his followers. Everyone will see him. This resurrection, if this is true, it is a game changer. And it ought to get our attention. And, and Peter says, this is one of the proofs that my salvation, this hope, this living hope that I have for you in Jesus Christ is, is, is going to happen. It has happened. And you can bank on it as if it's happened for you already. Living hope, this new birth. New birth is referring to the being born again. That Remember in John 3 when you have the Nick at night scene where Jesus and Nicodemus are interacting and, um, and Jesus says, you must be born again. And he's like, first you're born of water, born from mama, and then you're born of the spirit, right? And everybody that's walking around is born of the water, but not everybody is born of the spirit. Not even every person that calls themselves a Christian is born again, right? But true Christians are born Again, or literally born from above, born of the Spirit. And when we are born, it's new life that leads us to live a new life differently than the rest of the world. If we live in a dying world, then we will stand out as we live out this new life to the extent that we're faithful in that. But he also shows us that this hope is also permanent. Watch what he says next uh, in verse 4. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade... And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It's like God's got it all. He's got it all in his hand. He's just hanging on, waiting for you to show up, and he's going to give it to you. And it's, gonna be, it's never going to fade away. It's never going to decay or corrupt. It's never going to disappear. It is yours. It's just waiting for you to it. Now, we talk about salvation and hope. We've talked about this before. We talk about past. We have been saved present, we are being saved, and future, we will be saved. This is talking about we will be saved. This is the inheritance, is the fin finale to our um, in inevitable salvation if you're in Christ, okay? Most of us are in between the I, 
I've been saved and I will be saved. Most of us are in this sanctification process of becoming more and more like Jesus so that we close that gap between who he says we are and who we are trying to become as that new living person. And then he finishes with, so he goes, he guarantees us through the, through the uh, proof. He, he guarantees us through the, the permanence. And then he guarantees it to, through this power. Watch this, verse uh, 5. Who through faith are shielded by God's power. Let me back up. Uh, verse 4. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. These are long sentences, aren't they? Well, let me tell you, verse 3 through 12 in the Greek is one sentence. Okay? So maybe cut, cut, uh, thank the English translators for periods. Okay? Yes. Because this is thick. All right? But keep in mind, this is all a blessing, a prayer and blessing to God for salvation and hope that we have, that living hope. And so what I'm challenging you with today is to answer the question, not only is there hope for me, but why in the world would I even care? Do I, why don't I feel more joyful about this hope that I supposedly have in Jesus Christ? And the answer might be because maybe you don't have it. You just think you do. Or it could be that you don't comprehend the depth of the riches of, of God through the gospel. I know I'm struggling with it, and I'm sitting here preaching it to you, you know? And so it's just not super easy. It's the grace of God that we get any of it. Okay, so we're praying for more of that. So let's keep, on, let's keep looking at this gem from these different angles, and let's see if, we can't, if God won't stir up in us a joy that is... That, that carries us through our trials because that's what they were dealing with, right? The trials of life. I'm not even going to ask how many, anybody going through any trials because every hand would probably go up. And if you're not going through a trial, you just got out of one or you're getting ready to head into one or maybe all of the above. And it's like, how do we do this as Christians? You have your eyes on this living hope and you never take your eyes off the living hope. That's what he keeps saying throughout all of this. God is your source. God is guaranteeing it. And in a minute, he's going to talk about how there, our joy is in that. So let's look at this verse, uh, this power, God's power until the coming of that is ready to be revealed in the last time. What is the power needed for? What, how is it that God keeps us and protects us? He says he shields us. What's he shielding us from? Well, he says it in there. He says, who through faith are shielded by God's power. Well, what do we need? What is it that, that faith is giving us? It's giving us the power to resist the temptation to either believe lies or not believe the truth. Okay? Anytime you're struggling with something, anytime God taps you on the shoulder and says, you need to pay attention to this. I have something to say to you about this. You need to ask yourself the question, how does this fit rep repent and believe? What am I not believing that I need to be believing? Or what lie am I buying into that's causing me to get derailed in my walk? God is working. I'm going to go to this mic. Test. So then he continues and he says, um, and, and he says, uh, the, well, so we see God's power, the power to believe what is right and true, shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6. Okay, so now this is going to speak to the joy 
right? The joy of our hope and salvation. This is the one I think I struggle with the most because it's that part, I want to feel it. Somebody doesn't want you to hear this. All right, let's go to plan C. Test one, two. Test, test, it's on. Test, test. Oh, we, we got, we're audibling in the, in the booth too, okay? So, there we go. All right, a little louder. It's a good thing we bought new batteries. All right, I eat the ice cream cone, right? Okay, let's go with this. All right, um, let's, not lose let's not lose track here, okay? All right, let's not lose focus, right? Lord has something to say, and, and that makes people unhappy. All right, so um, the joy. What's the joy of this hope that we have? Look at verse 6. In all this, all this we've just been talking about, this living hope, and all this, you greatly rejoice, okay? That's something that should happen. You greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, all right? So um, if, if I had asked, and everybody, you know, those of you going through trials, in the midst of trials, or struggling through trials, he's saying that we rejoice in those trials, and I know that sounds crazy, doesn't it? That sounds, that sounds nuts. James, James 1, James 1, testing 1, 2, 3. James doesn't want out. I'm going to just put down all the mics. Te all, right, let's just, all right, let's go. All right, so James says this in James 1, 2, 3, 4. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. Why? So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Okay? So there's two reasons. One in, in Peter, and, and, and he hints at it, and then James gives it to us in more clear terms. At least two reasons why God allows trials to come our way. Okay? One is to test and see if our faith is genuine in the first place. Because the last thing you and I want to do is stand before the pearly gates and find out our faith was not genuine. And yet, we know from Matthew, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And he said, I never knew you. We want to know that our faith isn't just something we did when we walked an aisle at 12 and, we just, and we've lived however we've lived ever since and our life hasn't looked like we walked an aisle at 12. Well, how do you know? Peter says, God allows trials in your life and in mine so that we can see by persevering through those trials that we're the real deal. Okay, so how do you go through trials? How, do you, how does it go for you when you go through trials? Do you come out better or bitter? Are you angry all the time? It's just like right underneath the surface, there's this slow boil that just never stops. And you feel like the world is against you and it's you against the world and it's just like nothing ever goes my way and woe is me and Eeyore this and all that. Oh, but I have the joy of the Lord in my heart. Rejoice in my... Tr is that happening? 
right? I mean, this is a question we all wrestle with. And I'm not saying that because you wrestle with trials, that doesn't mean you're saved. I'm saying, what is your pattern? What is normal for you? Peter is saying, I let those trials come your way. God lets those trials come our way so that we can have our faith tested to see if it's genuine. Right? He says that. These have come that, uh, where does it say? Um, revealed in the last time, in this you will greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Verse 7, these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Because he's coming back. He's going to be revealed again. The second coming. When he comes back, you're going to want to know your faith is genuine. You're going to want to know, no, I have no questions, my faith is genuine. Am I faithful all the time? No. But the pattern of my life is to walk with him and to turn back to him when I get off track. That's the pattern of my life. I repent and believe. I keep short accounts with God. That's what I do by the grace of God. So he, he does, he allows these to come to strengthen our faith and to test the genuineness of our faith. And because of that, I rejoice because it means God's working in my life, in your life, in our church. He's working. He's active. He's not some distant, I'm going to wind up the clock and set it on the mantle and walk away and that's the world. You know, I'm actively involved, God says. I'm speaking, and I'm working, and I'm doing, and I'm trying to get your attention, and sometimes I let those trials happen just to get you back on your knees because you only pray when you need something. Well, at least you're talking to me, right? Parents who send kids to college, and they only call when they need money, you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about, right? But you still love to hear their voice even when they're asking for money most of the time, right? Because why? Because they're your kids, because you love them. And they're in a season where you don't exist except when they need to cash in. All right? It's a season most of the time. Well, God wants to hear from us too, and not just when we need something. But I'm preaching to myself, so I'll move on. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled, filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And he really is just doubling down on this idea that when you have the joy of the Lord because of this hope, you will have faith in God and you will love God. It'll just, it'll just bubble up and overflow. Okay? So are, is that ever happening in your life? Do you ever find just an increase of faith or, 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 or this love for God? I don't mean necessarily an ooey-gooey, oh, God, it's, you know, syrupy little coffee cup scripture message kind of love. I'm talking about a, a deep-rooted appreciation that God knows you, and you know he knows you, and you know him because he revealed himself to you, and there's this gratitude that just wells up in you. Do you ever feel that? It's good. And if you don't, that should be a, a warning flag. You should ask yourself, do I have a spiritual pulse at all? Verse 9 and through uh, 12, we get it, the prophets of this hope and this salvation. He's going to look back and he's going to look at the old prophets of the Old Testament, you know, Isaiah and, and Micah and Elijah and Elisha and Samuel and, and all, the, all the greatest hits, right? And, and, but then he's also going to look ahead 
into their day, which we would still look back to, which would be the New Testament prophets. This is what he says, starting in 10. Concerning this salvation, this hope we've been talking about, this inheritance that is called a living hope. The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out what trying to try to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ, that's the Holy Spirit, in them was pointing which he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Remember last week, you might remember, we talked about the cross comes before the crown. Jesus came first as a suffering servant, like Isaiah said he would, came as a baby, vulnerable, exposed, weak in the eyes of the world. He never did raise an army. He never did anything powerful in the eyes of the world. Now, he did powerful things, right? The healing and the miracles and the salvation that comes through the cross. But his glory didn't come until afterwards. His glory comes after. So the cross precedes the crown. And he's trying to tell us right here, Peter's trying to tell us, and that's true for you and me as well. We are living in a world where we have trials and tribulations and testings that cause us distress as a test and as a maturing device, sanctifying device. And he says, in Matthew, we saw this, if anyone come after me, Jesus said, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. All right? There's nobody in here that gets to uh, clep that course. No one gets to exempt that exam. We all are called to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. That's how it works, because that's how he did it. And if you're going to follow him in his footsteps, that means we do it the way he did it. And if our life doesn't look like his, that's another warning flag. It's another shot across the bow. It's God saying, pay attention, wake up. I've called you to follow me. You know that little kid's game, follow the leader? There's a lot of preach in that little game. Verse 12 says, it was revealed to them. Okay, so what is he talking about when he's talking about this in verses 10 and 11 where he talks about they were trying to um, find out the time and circumstances of this grace. I think what it's saying, I think what Peter's saying here is this. When guys like Daniel and Ezekiel and Jeremiah are writing down these prophecies from God, the scripture that we read in the Old Testament, I think he's saying they understood what it meant for them then, but they also could tell this means something for the future too. There's a future hope message in this passage that is telling us of a future and then another that and, and it's speaking to people between where they were and that future hope. That's at the end of the narrow way. In other words, the journey between here and there for all the people over the last 2,000 plus years, there's a message for them as well. And, and some of it was just to say, there's one coming who's going to wear the cross and then the crown. And so a lot of those Old Testament prophets were talking about Jesus, messianic prophecy that was fulfilled over and over through these guys. But they also saw it was about another coming, not just his first coming, but his second coming. That's why the Jews were so confused when Jesus kept wanting to talk about his kingdom, but he never would raise an army. It's why he talked about being a king, but he would never wear royal robes and a crown because his way is not the ways of this world, and our ways are not the ways of this world. We have to be very careful when we start talking politics. 
right? Because the way of politics is the way of the world. And politics is a necessary process in any government, okay? But we need to be careful that we don't try to do kingdom work through politics, okay? There's nothing wrong with engaging. I think we should engage. But we need to be careful that we don't put that above the kingdom. If you want to do politics, just do kingdom politics, okay? Let's talk to the world about the kingdom that will never end. Let's point to that leader, okay? Because the leaders of this world are going to fail us. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're talking. They will all fail us. They, I mean... I don't even need to give you examples. You see them every day, okay? And if I was up there, I would be making, I'd be failing too. I can't imagine how hard that job is. So they need our prayers. We're commanded to pray for them, but we are not commanded to bow down to them, okay? We honor them, we pray for them, but we salute Jesus, okay? And he fights differently. His army fights on his knees. And so when he talks about this, looking back, trying to find out the time and the circumstances, they're trying to figure this out. Even as they're writing scripture, they're like, what does that mean? And they're trying to figure it out. And, and then, uh, then Peter talks about the, the New Testament prophets when he says, okay, verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. This is the Old Testament prophets. They're saying, oh, we're not just writing for our generation. We're writing for other generations. They were not just serving themselves, but you, Peter says to those who are reading the letter, which includes you and me right now, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by who? By those who have preached the gospel to you. So I want you to think back over your life and all the preachers you've heard. There's, this is what they're supposed to be talking about. This is what they're supposed to be prophesying about. Those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, that assumes they're doing that, Sent from heaven, apostles, sent from authority. And then the last one is the angels. They have something to say about this too, this, this hope, this living hope. And basically, Peter just says, it's like they're looking over the fence trying to see what God's doing on, on this little ball of mud called earth. They're just amazed. Those people are, they don't deserve a thing. I can't believe he's being so gracious and merciful to those people. And you know what? One day we're going to actually rule over the angels. There's a lot of sanctification that needs to happen in the house, huh? Before we are doing anything like that. And yet, that's part of the inheritance that we have that we look forward to at the end of the narrow road. It ends with Jesus. I want you to think about um, uh, the, the most precious relationships in your life. Think of the, it may be a husband or a wife, it may be a, a, a sibling, it may be a, a son or daughter, a grandchild, a parent, uh, it may be a really close friend or a group of friends. I want you to think about those most precious relationships right now. It may be somebody in the past that you really miss. Okay? I want you to think about that relationship and how precious that is. Is there anything in life more precious than that relationship to you? I mean, money can't buy it. You're on your deathbed. You're not asking, gosh, I wish I'd worked more hours. You're thinking, how could I have loved them better? Now, I want you to imagine a relationship that is that times a billion forever. Okay, that is the inheritance that we have. What makes, it, what makes those relationships that we love so special? One of the things that makes those relationships so special is that that person probably knows me really, really well. 
including my worst days, and they still love me. They know because they know what I'm like. <laughs> and they still love me. God knows you and me. He knows the secrets that no one else knows. And we all have them. And He still loves us. That's the relationship. That's the inheritance. That's the pearl of great price. That's the living hope that we have, that we look forward to at the end of this narrow way that takes us back. So the other part of the story Nikki told, Nikki Gumbel told was, um, it wasn't really a story other than to say that there was this um, cardinal in the church. Okay, so I guess I'm assuming Church of England has cardinals too. I know the Catholic Church has them. And no pun intended, he was talking about the cardinal virtues, okay, of faith, hope, and love. And this cardinal, I can't remember his name, said he thinks of faith, hope, and love as, because uh, that comes from 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. He says, I think of them as three sisters, faith, hope, and love. But hope is much younger and smaller than the other two. The other two are tall and one on each side, and they're holding hands, they're walking down the road, hand in hand, and at first it looks like, Faith and love are pulling hope along, but what's really happening is that hope is pulling faith and love along. I think to the extent we understand that is the extent to which we begin to experience that joy of that living hope. Is there any hope for me? Is there any hope for you? Absolutely. The hope is a living hope that you can bank on when you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that you were willing to take the cross so that we could receive a crown. We thank you that you give us faith to believe because we couldn't do that on our own. It's by grace through faith that we can believe. We thank you for the courage that, gives, that we need so that we will believe, that we will exercise our volition to say, yes, Lord, or not yet. Lord, my prayer is that we would say, yes, Lord. And we wouldn't just say, yes, Lord, and, and keep it to ourselves. We would say, yes, Lord, and shout it from the rooftops and share it with those who are near and far without shame because of what you've done for us. Lord, I repent of not enjoying the, the reality of this hope like I should. I thank you for deepening my understanding and comprehension so that I might believe and rest more confidently in the midst of struggles and trials that the best is yet to come. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to this reality, that you would change our way of living as we embrace the trials in our lives as gifts that we would truly consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds because we believe that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. 
which leads to maturity and completion in Christ Jesus. That it leads to us being able to see that our faith is genuine or not so that we might be right, get right, and find that we are right by your grace and mercy. We need you because we are not good at this. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you're doing even right now in our hearts. That you would give us the courage to step out in faith and believe and follow the Lord Jesus Christ today. In whose name we pray. Amen.